Welcome back to another episode of the Love in a Cottage podcast. I'm your host, Paige Geidel, and I am so stoked that you found us. We are a community of creative Christian women in their 20s, and you are invited to be a part of it. Each week, I invite a guest on the show to chat about all things marriage, motherhood, homemaking, small business, and following Jesus. My friend, there is a seat here for you at the table, and I so hope that you choose to be a part of this community. Without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Love in a Cottage podcast. I'm your host Paige and I am so thankful that you decided to check us out if you are new and if you have listened to us before, welcome back. Thanks for being here and I hope you are having a great week so far. This week, I'm sitting down with my very close friend, Ashley Jones, to hear about her rare cancer journey at the age of 24. Ashley has experienced so much suffering, yet she's still determined to spread the message of gospel hope with her writing throughout the cancer community and the rest of the world. Ashley is an incredibly talented writer, and I actually had the joy and privilege of becoming her friend through our church, which we'll share about a little bit in the beginning. She was a children's ministry worker for a couple years and worked very closely with Flora and was also in our small group and so I just have so much love for her and her story is absolutely incredible. I know you'll be deeply inspired by Ashley and I cannot wait for you to listen. Ashley, oh my gosh, welcome to the show. We did it. We've been trying to make this happen for like weeks, I feel like. We really have. This is so exciting. (laughs) It is so fun. And again, I feel like whenever I interview people who I actually know and am friends with in real life, I probably sound a lot different because I'm (laughs) less like on my guard or whatever. Um, So that is a fun fact. Ashley and I know each other in real life. We are good friends. And she and I... Um, met in California that's still so fresh it's still so sad and weird to be like back when I lived there because we were living there like less than a month ago but not in California anymore I know Exactly. I know it's so sad. So we met, Ashley was the children's pastor at our church. And also we were in the same like young adult small group and we went to the same college and just like really through church is how we met um, Mm -hmm. and became friends. But I feel like from there we just formed more connections and she has loved on our girls so well and on us so well. And Ashley's just a really good friend. So. I'm so glad to have you here today. I am so glad to be here. I love your podcast and Mm. all the business pursuits that you do. So it's an honor to be on the show. Thank you, Ash. Okay, so can you give everyone else who doesn't know you in real life (laughs) your (laughs) name, where you live, what you do for work, and just a little bit about you? Yes, my name is Ashley, as you probably already know, but I feel like you always start with that. You know, even when. You're on American Idol, and the name is like on the bottom. It's you always start with, I am this person from this place. I love that. Yes. Oh, I'm Ashley. I'm from Southern California, and I am a writer. I released my first poetry chapbook last year. It debuted as the number one in its subcategory of 
poetry that is about grief and suffering, and it's called Yet Praise. I released it right before a really big surgery to remove a tumor in my chest. It was a big time this past February. It feels like an era ago, but it really wasn't too long ago thinking about it out loud. And I still write today. I'm a freelance writer, so I do a lot of writing for magazines, for businesses and nonprofits. And that is a whole lot of fun as I work on hopefully some upcoming books and new personal projects as well. I also work at a school and encourage other kiddos to share their story as they learn how to write and read. Ashley, you're amazing. I'm so proud to be your friend. (laughs) Yes, I'm proud to be your friend. Gosh, you're right. That really does feel like a whole era ago. And we definitely are going to spend a huge chunk of the show today talking about your journey because as obviously the last year and a half, two years going on now of COVID have been a huge deal for so many people, you have had an extremely wild couple of years. Like it still almost doesn't feel real to me um, that you were diagnosed with cancer and walked through that because we didn't get to see each other for, you know, I feel like a couple of months when all that was going on. And so really let's just start from the beginning. Um, last year, was it last year or was it last February? Is that what you said? Last September I was diagnosed, Okay, but I had my surgery in February. And if you go even further back to the year before, you were pregnant with Flora. I was working at Visiting Angels. I remember you walked to the office and brought me a latte. I felt so honored by that because you were so pregnant and walked all the way just to bring me a treat. And things were fairly normal. That was pre-pandemic. I moved home left that job, moved home because my dad was diagnosed with cancer. He went through stem cell treatment at City of Hope. And I was home. I was working from home at that point, teaching online mostly. And then I was going on a run. In September, I came home and noticed a lump under my collarbone just out of nowhere. At this point, my dad had already gone through chemotherapy. He was in remission. He had gone through stem cell treatment, like I had mentioned. And this bump came out of nowhere. Doctors were baffled because at times it can get small and get bigger or be small and get bigger. And it just appeared, or at least I had noticed it at that point. I went to urgent care. It was a very wild time at urgent care because I had no idea what it was. I thought maybe it was a bubble. Like I just had no clue. It looked like an alien egg just underneath my collarbone. And I remember the urgent care doctor saying, oh, it doesn't look like cancer. It, it's just probably a benign bump or tumor. And being just so overwhelmed in that moment and praying and praying and praying by myself in the urgent care room. And I ended up getting a PET scan, I believe, that very day. And I was diagnosed with a rare form of sarcoma not too long after that, rhabdomyosarcoma. Only 1% of cancers are sarcomas. And so you can imagine the rarity of it to be a rare type of sarcoma in a rare place at my age, because 
the cancer that I had was actually pediatric. And so I ended up going to chemotherapy with a lot of children. And I remember I walked in and I just wept because it was so horrible. It was like this other world that you had no idea even existed and, and didn't want to know, honestly, the way that the kids were in so much pain. It was just so much to bear and it was so awful. And it took me a long time to get used to coming there. And it wasn't until later that I reframed and shifted my perspective to, okay, I am here in this hospital. All of these children, all the volunteer programs at that time were cut because we were inching into the pandemic. Insane. And that's when I thought, you know, maybe I can do something. And I dressed up as a princess for Halloween, which was really fun, and ended up doing a really cool toy drive with our church. And we brought a ton of dolls and tablets and different sorts of toys to those kids for Christmas. And so it was really attempting to make, to find redemption, to let God redeem the situation that I was in. And we all did our, our best to really be willing to let that happen. So can we just take a second to acknowledge the fact that <laughs> you got diagnosed with cancer and you're like, Jesus, how do you want to use me to bless and serve other people? If that is not the most Ashley thing I've ever heard, you are so inspiring. And honestly, as you were talking, it's it's so different, but so similar. It reminded me of Paul and how he was like in jail celebrating that he was like chained to the guards. And obviously the doctors and nurses and other children and families with cancer like they're not prison guards but it's like you didn't want to be there they didn't want to be there but you were there that was a situation that you were in and you just totally allowed the lord to like use you to yeah. be a light in a really hard dark dark place how old were you when you got diagnosed i i forget i was i'm 24 right now i was 23 because okay. i remember i had my birthday during a time where I had chemotherapy or during wow. where I had chemotherapy. So how soon did treatment and appointments and all of this start? I mean, did they name like a stage of cancer that you were in at all? It changes. It depends on what doctor you have and what medical community that you're in. It's really dependent on those things as far as definition goes and the language that they use surrounding cancer. Okay. Stages is a term that is used frequently and like very commonly known, but the doctors that I've talked to have, have said, now we treat everything like it's stage four. We mm -hmm. go hard on all the cancer because things can progress so fast. Wow. And with my case, rhabdomyosarcoma, it was super aggressive. They didn't know when it was going to spread, if it was going to spread. And so they just wanted to get it out as fast as possible. Yeah. I started chemotherapy almost immediately once I got all situated and it was, it was rough. It was awful. I just remember feeling so exhausted, so nauseous and very isolated. It was an experience that no one or no other young people around me were going through and not, definitely did not want anyone else to go through and just had this experience of, of isolation and discouragement and exhaustion and feeling like my life was just on hold that I had all this momentum in my, my early 20s and then pause. 
what am I going to do now? And so, yeah, it was a lot of chemotherapy and then that wasn't working. And that was one of the most discouraging things was doing all this chemotherapy, being sick over and over and over again, just to see it not work. And it wasn't until later I found a surgeon going to a U, working at a UC who was specializing in rare sarcomas that he would actually help remove my tumor for good. And it wasn't the chemotherapy that knocked it out, but we had to go in for surgery and it was extremely risky. There was a, lots of talk and warnings that I would never be able to use my right arm again. And so I went into surgery with that mindset, but I, I really look back on this often. I remember the night before surgery and the way that peace surpassed all understanding in those moments. And I think about the passage where the three men were going in to the fire in the book of Daniel and, and they believed that God would deliver them from the flames, but they, they told them like, even if he doesn't deliver me, we're still not going to bow down to the other gods. Like, even if God doesn't deliver me from this, he's still good. And I just remember thinking, no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. No matter what happens in this surgery, whether the tumor is gone, whether it's not, whether I make it, whether I don't, it's going to be okay because God is above it all. And I just felt this like supernatural peace come over me where I wasn't scared walking into the operating room and I had Melissa Helser's music just going and I was singing and just felt really light, which I didn't expect at all going into surgery. It was yeah. That's so powerful, Ash. Do you feel like there was a switch that flipped? Was it kind of all of a sudden or do you feel like it was a gradual acceptance and peace? Yeah, I think as I got closer to the date of the surgery, I was expecting myself to start to get more nervous and more afraid. And it definitely came in waves. But the more I talked to family and friends, I talked to my pastor, and the more I prayed, I just felt so much peace going into it that no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. That Mm. our time on earth is so short, and I've been so privileged to spend it in such an amazing way. And so like whatever happens on that operating table, it's going to be all right. It's going to be fine. And God's going to take care of me and my family and my friends and my community. And it was just this overwhelming peace I had going into it. And I remember waking up from surgery and I could move my arm and my mm. hands. And of course I could hardly even recognize how amazing that was and how miraculous that was. Because I was so disoriented, you know, coming out of surgery, it genuinely felt like a blink of an eye. Of course, my family, my friends, it was hours and hours and hours of stress and waiting and prayer and tears. And for me, it was a genuine blink. And I remember calling people and telling them, oh, yeah, I'm using my hand. It's fine. And then just sobbing. and Like it just hit you. Yeah, because they just genuinely didn't think I would be able to use my hand. I genuinely didn't think I'd be able to use my arm. In the middle of the surgery, the doctor called my family and said that you have two choices. Either one, we remove the whole tumor and her nerve, so she probably won't be able to use her right arm. 
or her fingers or her hand. Or we can remove half the tumor and keep her nerve intact to use her, so she could use her arm and her hand and try to get the rest out with chemotherapy and radiation, et cetera. And my extremely, extremely brave little sister made the decision to take out the whole tumor. That's what Ashley would want. She would, does not want that in her body anymore, even if she, it means losing the use of her arm. And she was absolutely right. That's exactly what I would have said in the moment if I would have been awake. Obviously, I was asleep. But I woke up and I could use my arm. And I remember I the first thing I did was I asked for a pen and to see if I could write. I'm a writer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Are you right-handed? That's like yeah. insanely mm-hmm. – yes. that would have been I a huge like- impact for anyone, let alone – for you and your passion yes. and career. Literally, yeah, my vocation. And so crazy, a grad student who had been with me in my check-in appointment, who had been with me in surgery, she's ob- observing all of this just to learn, but we had become friends because we're a similar age. She snuck in my room to check on me <laughs> since, you know, there's no visitors. There's no visitors allowed when I was going through all of this, all of chemo, all of surgery. And so she snuck in, sat next to me, and I asked, do you have a piece of paper and a pen? And she brings me a piece of paper, like a scrap piece of paper and a pen. And I just wrote the word hope. And it was messy and sprawled out and (laughs) not the best penmanship you've ever seen. But I wrote it and you could read it. And my heart read it in that moment. There's hope and hope is alive and well in me. Wow. I remember when you were in surgery. Our church did like a Zoom prayer mm-hmm. thing. And I remember just like being on there and getting those updates and how incredible the Lord must have given your sister such strength and wisdom. I can't imagine getting that call and having to make that decision. And obviously, like, praise Jesus that everything worked out and that he didn't just work out. It was miraculous, but that you feel at peace with the decision that she made. And I just think I'm in awe of like how everything turned out, right? It's wild. Oh, what did the surgeon say? Was he like, I don't know what to make of this. Like, this is insane. So happy. (laughs) Right? We still check in. He's amazing. He is on the cutting edge of treatment for sarcoma. He's incredible. And okay. it's just been amazing to see the journey that God has taken me on and the way that it's brought glory to him. Yeah. Yeah. What a testimony. How that's like such an amazing opportunity as you're talking about it with doctors and nurses and other patients, to like share the gospel and just the hope that you have in Jesus. And I know, I know you, and I know that's exactly what you have done. So I certainly try. I will say, you know, in those moments, I, I pray that they just see it in me. Sometimes, you know, I, they preach to me more than, more than I even preach to them. I remember I was being wheeled in to biopsy and one of my nurses just starts like speaking a Psalm over me. It, I, it was so crazy. I can barely even remember how the moment started happening. Yeah. But I started reading a psalm and they kept calling me a princess, like child of God, like you are royalty. You're going to be okay. Oh my God. And I was shocked. I'm like, I'm on a gurney at this point. Like I'm literally laying on a gurney, just in a blanket, white walls, fluorescent what? lights, 
whole nine and he's just speaking a psalm over me genuinely oh my gosh. you do not get that every day I couldn't believe it God what is happening right now and I remember another nurse this is different nurse comes in my room I'm sitting there by myself reading a book like I said no visitors so I'm reading books I'm watching the TV with so many commercials and really random channels and shows. I'm watching HGTV, you know, (laughs) and he just tells me, he sees me sitting by myself and just told me, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit's in this room. And I was shocked. I, I couldn't believe what he was, what he was saying. And I, I was so thankful because I couldn't believe that he was saying it, but I believed it with my whole heart. And I was so thankful that he did too. And it was just so cool. It's been so special to like look back and see the ways that God was so present throughout this journey and the ways that he comforted me and the ways that he showed up so vividly in such a strong and mighty way. And yet like so gentle and so tender, like for me to be like sitting there just trying to cope with being in the hospital by myself and for him to nudge a nurse to walk into my room and remind me I'm not alone. And to remind me that the Holy Spirit is my comforter, not I'm not alone in that room, that even if I don't have any visitors due to the pandemic, that God is with me, that he is by my side and that he has not left, that he has not forsaken me, that he is closer than ever. And I just thought, I just think back to that and it like it touches my heart so much. Yeah, that is so special. Like, just thank you, God, for those those nurses. That is right? wild because anywhere you live, I feel like especially in Southern California with our hospital experiences, but anywhere that is so uncommon and how cool that he like is so kind and so thoughtful and like okay. placed those nurses, gave them the boldness and the courage to say that. Yes. Like that's yes. huge. So yeah. much behind the scenes going on. Well, so yeah. So you had your surgery in February, but that wasn't the end. It's not like you had the surgery and then things are done. What the roughest part. (laughs) Yeah. What came next? Yeah. The hardest part, I think, because I had gone through chemo. I made it. I did the surgery. I came out of it. And then more chemo even with no evidence of disease. And that was tough because going into chemo the first time, I had a huge tumor. I thought, I have to get in here quick. I was motivated. I was energized. This round of chemo, I thought, why are they doing this? Why do we have to do chemotherapy again when the tumor is gone? But because of the chance of spread because of all sorts of factors that there could have been very, very, very tiny cancer cells hiding elsewhere in my body. I had to, it was a hundred percent recommended by all the medical professionals. And so I went for it. I did radiation for about a month and then I started chemotherapy overlapping on that. And this is kind of towards the, moving back towards people working in offices, moving back towards people meeting in person again. So I'm also emerging from my cocoon, being at home and in the hospital. 
And I get to the chemo center and they tell me this chemotherapy and I end up switching to a different chemotherapy center that was more tailored just towards sarcomas this time. And they tell me I'm going to have to wear my chemotherapy around. And Paige can attest to this. I genuinely wore my chemotherapy like a purse, like a dang purse for months. I had a full tube coming out of my chest into a backpack. I still cannot wear or carry black purses or black backpacks since then because it reminds me of my medicine bag that would pump chemo through me for hours and hours and hours, 24 hours a day. I mean, I'd plug myself in at night when my roommates would plug me in and it would just continue to pump until I'd go get it changed, but have a break just long enough to recover. And then I would do it again. And that was really tough. That was one of the times where I faced so much doubt. I faced so much sadness, depression. At that time, too, my friends were starting to go back to work. Like I said, things were progressing towards people being out of the house again. And I was still sick. You know, I was still on pause. I was still locked down in my house because of this. And when I went outside, it was not an easy experience. I was moving my tubes around. I was making sure the bag didn't get too hot. It was, it was a challenge. And I think one of the brightest, some of the brightest moments of my week were actually working with the children again at children's ministry, even just like holding Flora or just being being with the kids, you know, it was so nice to have their encouragement and their comfort and their excitement and their hope. I think one thing I realized during that time was I started to sink a little bit. I was so hopeful and I was continuing to hope and I could feel it wearing down by the weight of this medicine that was hurting while healing me at the same time. Confusing, but the reality of chemotherapy. And I remember the kids, whenever I'd walk in the room, they would ask, is that a wig? And I'd say, yeah, it's a wig. Is your hair back? No, not yet. And, but they knew, they knew it will come back. That won't be a wig for long. You know, it, it was like the hopefulness in their attitudes helped me so much every Sunday. And I don't, I don't think I realized it at the moment. In the moment, I was kind of sad, like letting them down. Like, yeah, it's still a wig, you know? <laughs> yeah, I still am on the back, you know? But really, every time they asked, it reminded me that a different reality was possible. That one day, my hair could be back. That one day, I could say, it's not a wig anymore. And the excitement on their faces would grow and glow. And I think for me, that was really important and that was a turning point for me too is getting to work with the kids again even with the bag yeah wow because everyone else is returning as I'm hearing you say this like everyone else is returning to their some sense of normalcy and for you that wasn't the case that had to have been so hard so I'm so thankful that you were able to work with our kids again and you just shine yes. so much in that area. You are <laughs> such a blessing to our church there. And I just think it's amazing how you were able to continue to lead and to serve during that time. Yeah. It was honestly like, a, it was a service to me. Like I mm-hmm. think about all these moments that 
maybe I was quote unquote serving, but truly like it was them. It was their attitudes, their positivity and like just their innocence and kindness that restored hope in me again. And along with that, a huge piece of restoration and hope in in that season was when my significant ever significant other moved down to be this be in Southern California during treatment. We had clocked so many FaceTime hours while I was in the hospital. And it was so good to finally just be with him and, and walk through this journey together, hand in hand. And he was constantly showing up at my doorstep with sparkling water, which prevented neurotoxicity and nausea crackers and food and would take me back and forth to appointments. And I was recently working on a poem slash song. I can't really sing. So sometimes I'll like write a song, but then I'll like make it a spoken word later, you know, <laughs> about how our dinner dates were, was just fast food on long drives to the city, slow drives to Los Angeles. Oh, yes. You know? Don't miss that. <laughs> Yeah, it's the traffic is out of this world, but he would make it bearable and remind me, hey, you're, you don't have cancer right now. Like you're almost done. Like he would, he would tell me that. And it would be such a good reminder for me because it was so hard to see the horizon when I was stuck in the mud. Yeah. It was so good to have him as a pillar of hope for me during so much of that season, taking on so many of, the crazy burdens that cancer and cancer treatment brings along him Mm -hmm. along with my roommates, my friends, my family. It was, it's definitely a journey that I realized was not solitary. Like as much as I was isolated and, and felt emotionally isolated at times because of the weight of the disease, I definitely was not walked alone in more ways than one. And God brought so many people into my life that really stood by me. And I'm really grateful for that because I'm a part of a lot of cancer forums, communities, young adult groups, and so many people share that people left, that friends left, that people close to them who they thought would stick around didn't. Ever a nurse told me that a ton of cancer patients go through divorce during their treatment because it's so hard. And so it's really a testament to my community, to my significant other, to my friends, my roommates, my family, that they stayed, you know, and I'm very grateful for that. I'm forever thankful for that, for people who stay through the mountains, through the valley, through the high parts, and through the extremely low parts. I mean, it marks you forever in thankfulness and gratitude for for people and, and for the enduring aspect of love. Like yeah. not just like the flowery, like cute sweetsy parts, but like the enduring, fragrant, strong tree-like aspects of love that exist with that. If you're anything like me, you spent most of 2020 and maybe even 2021 wearing your coziest clothes. But at some point, I realized that my cozy clothes included my high school t-shirt with lots of holes and stains and decided it was time for an upgrade. I recently discovered Noble, an ethical clothing brand specializing in waffle jammies for both women and children. Their waffles are seriously the softest I've ever owned because they're made with 100% GOT certified organic cotton. 
Not to mention the fact that they come in the most beautiful colors like oat milk, mustard, and lavender. Noble recently sent me and my girls the cutest matching waffles in their new color moss, and I am obsessed, you guys. I guarantee we are going to be wearing these all winter long, both inside and outside of our home. You can get your own pair of waffle jammies for 10% off when you use the code PAGEGUIDAL10 at checkout. Visit shopnoble.com and use the code PAGEGUIDAL10 at checkout to get 10% off your order. Yeah. Wow. That leads me right into my next question, which is just what do you wish that people understood about cancer? Or even a better question is like, because unfortunately it is just such a a tragic, intense, heartbreaking disease that impacts a lot of people, you know, whether it is a family member or a friend or a spouse, like Mm -hmm. What would you want to say to them? How do you feel like they can encourage? And everyone's different, but right. but for those of us who haven't walked through that, like, what do you wish people knew? And how do you feel like people can come alongside um, people within their community who are facing cancer right now? It's a great question and a question that I am so thankful that you're asking because it is a is one that people inquire about a lot because sometimes you just don't know what to do and you don't know what to say, but you want to say and you want to do something. Right. And I would say one of the biggest things that I long for people to understand more is that every day is so different. Monday, you might want a pep talk to get you off the couch, but Tuesday, a pep talk could sound like nails on a chalkboard. Wednesday, you might want someone to cry with you in your bed, on the couch, in the treatment chair if they if they let you in. Thursday, you might long for people to like acknowledge and ask about the cancer that's destroying life as you know it. But Friday, like you just might want people just to forget about it for a day or two and refrain from mentioning it at all, remembering that it's not the most interesting thing about you. And so I would say it's so different and to ask and to ask in in a humble way, but with some, with some preparation, I have dinner and I'm on my way. Is that okay? Something like that too, because even and I've seen this all over the place on Instagram, the phrase, you know, let me know how I can help has yes. been shared. Yeah. So many people have kind of thrown that phrase out flippantly, you know, myself included probably without acting on it, that now people are nervous to actually let people know, you know? And, and so I think when anyone is in a period of suffering and, and longing, sometimes the best thing to do is just do something, you know, sit with them, be a listener, bring dinner, bring food. Food is always great, you know, (laughs) in these circumstances and letters and words of encouragement. And, you know, if, of course, like if all you can think of is like, let me know how I can help, like, that's fine. Like, I'm sure that if you have like that trusting relationship that they will, but I would say just be prepared with something that you can tangibly do to pray and to recognize that every day is different. And I think one of the precious things that I learned so much about like the love of the father is that he's able to handle the full range of emotions that we go through during times like this, whether it's like anger or sadness or joy at just being alive, 
you know, I think he's able to really, to hold all of that, like no emotions too big for him. And I think we can reflect his character when we open ourselves up to listen to the emotions that other people are feeling too. Even if we want to just be, say, be thankful, you know, or don't cry. It's like, you know, let him cry. Let him complain. I remember I walked into an emergency room after I had a chemotherapy problem and I said, I'm sorry to complain. I'm just having this issue. And he goes, it's your right to complain. It's okay to complain. And I was shocked by that, you know, because I so often just want to like, no, 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 it's fine. You know, I never want to like complain about anything, but sometimes situations are really, really hard. And that's okay. You know, I, I think gratitude will come, thankfulness comes. And I'm a huge, huge proponent of the power of being thankful and the power of gratitude. I think it's so necessary. I also think like in order to get there from a place of authenticity, we have to be real about the pain that we're in too. And I think that's something that I've learned a lot is it's not just blanketly faking it, being like, well, I'm just, I'm just happy. I'm just, everything's fine. But rather being like, this is hard. Cancer sucks. And yet, I am just really glad to be alive today. And I get to see the sunrise with my roommates. And right now, that's enough. Hmm. You know? Yeah. So that's something that I I learned in in my experience. Yeah. I love that. I want to touch on a few things that you said. First of all, this idea of let me know how I can help. It's – I love that you talked about that because it's so easy to do. And I love, like you said, on social media, I feel like just recently I've seen some more things about it in the past couple of months, especially more in like the birth community with like new moms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I uh, actually saw someone had a miscarriage, which was so sad. Mm -hmm. And she posted this text thread. Please forgive me. I can't remember who this was, but it was a text thread and she said, true friendship. And it was one of her friends saying, okay, you have three options. Option number one is I drop off a meal, you know, tonight at 6 PM. Option number two is I pick up your kids from school and take them to a movie. Option number three is, I don't know, something else. And I just think those options, it like takes away this uncomfortable element of being like, I'm coming over now because what if they don't want that, you know? So it takes that away but it's still doing something. And I just, I think we all get stuck in, like you said, wanting to do something, not knowing what to do. And that turns into oftentimes not doing anything. And that even makes me think as well about this idea of like, I'm praying for you or let me know if I can pray for you. And it's so much harder, but like, I try to challenge myself and I feel like our church was so great at this and to being like, can I pray for you right now? And just like praying for them, you know, whether that's with that person out loud or that's like in your head, you just do it right away. Right. But it's like that action is so important in making people feel loved. And I also just love what you said about like how you have learned that God can hold all of these feelings. I mean, you know, working with kids, kids have a wide range of emotion, right? Yes. And I think me as a parent, John and I are always talking about, you know, he's a therapist and we just are constantly discussing like, how can we, how can we set our girls up for the, 
success, like to have um, solid relationships and to have a healthy view of themselves and of God and relationships with others. And like a huge part of that is holding those feelings and obviously parenting them, disciplining them as needed. But it's like, I, I heard something great the other day asking the question simply, you know, does your body hurt or are your feelings hurting right now? And like teaching them to be self-aware and then from there we can respond appropriately. And so it's um, just, I think, important and and challenging, but important to hold space for those feelings. So yeah, I love that you're doing that as a parent, as a mom, because that's really giving her a a foundation of how to understand those emotions and how to respond and how to be aware of them. Mm-hmm. That's so wonderful. Thank you. So you obviously talked about how you're a writer and I have your book. I love it. It's <laughs> so incredible. I think mirror, mirror, is it plural mirrors or just mirror? I think it's just mirror, but okay. yes. I bought one of your prints whenever you were selling those, the little cards. And I just, I love it. I love that one so much. But I want to know like how, because releasing a book while you're in the middle of cancer, that's like a lot. And I'm just so proud of you. And I want to know like how this experience has impacted your writing. And then what are some of your like biggest dreams for your writing that's next? That is a wonderful question. Yeah, Yet Praise is the poetry chat book, and it's so close to my heart. And I, yeah, I love the poems in there because they cover a wide range of things while also just being centered on resilience. And it really helped me get through a really difficult time is taking those weird hard feelings I had and putting them into poetry, Mm. whether it was just somewhere sitting on a Google Doc or the notes app on my phone it really helped me see my situation more clearly because I think at times I just wanted to zonk out on Netflix and scroll Instagram and all the things. And did I do that? Absolutely. hundred percent. Do I still do that? Absolutely. Sometimes hundred percent. But I think in the moments where I stopped and thought, what am I feeling right now? And like, what is happening? I remember one moment so clear when I was laying on the couch, so sick. I think I'd probably worn myself out from Instagram, TikTok, TV. I was just staring at the wall. I'm pretty sure just like looking at my ceiling and there's a big window. And I remember this poem came into my head and I just remember looking at the light coming from the window and I wrote this poem out of that moment. And it says, when I'm struggling to understand the peace that transcends comes through like a ray of light on a dark feeling, turning yellow, what was blue. And I I just remember thinking that and jotting it down. And then I just posted it on Instagram, you know, do a cute little like Canva background and people messaging me saying that they resonated with it and it helped them. And honestly, like even if one person is just encouraged by a poem that I wrote, it's it's worth it. It's worth it to write. It's worth it to share. It's worth it to speak out. And I think for me, my writing journey just became a lot, a lot of that, a lot of just, this is what I'm feeling right now. This is how I'm feeling encouraged by Jesus. This is how I'm feeling hopeful. And I want to share that with people who might also be in a place of pain. And I wanted to share writing that spoke 
hope to people's hardship in the language of empathy. And that's why the the word yet I love so much because it acknowledges pain. It acknowledges a pain that comes before it while offering a helping hand to resiliency. My, um, so title, it's in the title of my book for that reason. And it's funny, my friend even was saying, he's like, I associate you with that word now. So my book, Get Praise, I, I did a little clothing um, release on get resilient. Like no matter what we've gone through, we can, we can still yet be resilient. And, and just really offering that bridge to hope while acknowledging the pain that that person's in and the pain that I was in. And that's, that's what really helped me get through at that time. And I think it's affected my writing in a big way. I write with more depth, with more knowledge of experience of suffering and just feeling very, 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 very experienced in just feeling the weight of disease. And I think Some people are even more experienced than I am. And I'm more prone now to like read writings of people's experiences who are in really difficult spots. And I respect them so, so, so much because I only went through cancer treatment for like almost a year, I think, maybe a little over a year. And that felt like it just kept going on and on. But some people are in it for several years. And I knew kids that were in it for five to seven years their whole life in the hospital and to hear what they write, to hear, to see what they draw, to hear their stories. Like that is so impactful for me because I can understand the fraction of what they've experienced and how much effort and how much strength and how much endurance it takes to be creative in those times. Hmm. I love that, Ash. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's I love it because it's raw and mm-hmm. and you share so beautifully, but it's not beautiful because it's like perfect and there weren't hard moments. And I think that's what makes it even more beautiful, right? So thank you so much for just your willingness to be vulnerable and to share your story with us. So I would love to wrap up with a couple of quick questions, which I ask every single guest who's on the show. So I was wondering, what are three things that you have been loving lately? I thought this question was so fun when you shared it with me just to prep for a little bit. I'm glad you did because I really needed to think about it. The first thing that I wrote was the Jonathan and Melissa Helzer podcast. It's an incredible podcast like amazing I've listened to some of them like three or four times listen to the one on sustainability so good talks about power of prayer friendship with the Holy Spirit talks about ministry and relationships and family it's incredible love it love it love it um the second one is silverback coffee of Rwanda oh such good coffee. I have like a whole bag of their beans in my cabinet right now and I make it on the Chemex and it is exactly what you need. And mm, the more we are Chemex people too. I love it. <laughs> I love their Chemex. And yeah, they also donate a percentage of their profits to orgs that build schools in their local areas and provide services to widows and orphans as a result of the genocide in Rwanda. 
and we're working with Rwandan government to improve the quality of care of silverback gorillas. So it's just, and it's also just great coffee. And yeah, wow. Find out more about that on their website. I promise I'm not sponsored by them, but I just really love them and <laughs> I had to give them a plug after researching what they were all about. So love that coffee. And the last one is, I might pronounce this wrong too, but it's Me Solo Shoes. <gasps> Wait, I love them. Ashley, yeah, they're, they're so amazing. awesome. Yes. Fair priced, ethically made, and I wear them to work like almost every day. Which ones do you have? I have like the little leather loafers. Cute. They're so adorable. Oh my I gosh. Love, I'm not even like really like a shoe girl. Like I don't have a lot of pairs of shoes, but those shoes, I could have a couple. Of, I I could get more. I could find a way one day to invest in several pairs. Of yes. <laughs> they're that and they're ethically made and that's really important to me as well because I had done a lot of research slash worked with a lot of trafficking survivors and people that have just put been put in very unfair conditions and I'm very pro us doing the research as consumers to be conscious consumers and making sure that we what we buy is is made ethically when we can and as much as we can so yeah absolutely it's a, a really good buy yeah, that's so fun. We love knee solos. John has um their like combat men's boots. Oh wow! That's and nice. I have some little woven loafers. They have yeah, they're like woven with a little tassel. Oh, I've seen those. Yeah, I've seen you wear. Them. I they're didn't know those so were cute. That is really exciting. I might have to. I have to get, do that. I want you to know, Paige, and I guess all the viewers that I legitimately like put knee solo in Google Translate. Like English to English, just so I could hear it, so I wouldn't pronounce it wrong. Oh my gosh! For this for this episode, <laughs> this episode. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so hopefully English to English. <laughs> hopefully Google Translate said it correctly because that's what I went with. I think I you are good. If okay, if that's yes. wrong, then I've been saying it wrong too. So we'll be wrong together. <laughs> I was like so determined to say it correctly. <laughs> Ash, how can we as a community be praying for you? Um, be praying that I stay cancer free and that I can continue to move back into a rhythm uh, of work and writing again and be able to share my story of hope uh, with people who need it. That it would just be ears of people who need to hear that hope is possible even in our darkest moments. Mm. Thank you. We will absolutely join you in prayer for that. And where can people find you and connect? I have a website and a very, very, I have to like try to think of how to describe my blog, very raw blog mm. at ashleykjones.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at ashleykendalljones.com for lots of poems and pieces of my cancer journey. I just opened Instagram to double check my handle. Yes. And the first thing that came up was your sweet picture of a bowl of strawberries. So beautiful. Flora is obsessed. <laughs> I think the caption was something like, she will never say no. And it's so true. It's like every time I say, do you want strawberries? Yeah. That's her response. Your favorite one. Yeah. It's nothing like flesh fruit. <laughs> yeah. So that's my Instagram, Ashley Kendall Jones, and my website, ashleykjones.com. 
And you could find my poetry chapbook on Amazon under yet, comma, praise. 100% of the proceeds will go to supporting children currently in cancer treatment. Wow. That's huge. We will make sure to link all those things in the show notes. And then we'll also post on our Instagram stories over the week that your episode is live. So people can find you there too. Ash, thank you again for your willingness to come on. I love being your friend. This was so good because we haven't actually gotten to like sit down and from us to talk in depth, I think I always had like Flora or we were at church or whatever. So it's truly such an honor to get to hear your story in depth like this thank you thank you for inviting me on the podcast you guys Paige is literally so awesome to talk Uh. (laughs) the walk so just had to say that to all your viewers you are one of the most genuine people I've ever met so I love you thank you for having me on this podcast I love you too you are amazing thanks for listening everyone yes have a great week Thanks for listening to another episode of Love in a Cottage. I am so grateful you decided to join us today, and I hope you're going forward in your day feeling encouraged, understood, and inspired. If you like today's show, I would love to encourage you to share it with a girlfriend. You can also screenshot this episode and share it on your Instagram stories, which will help more like-minded women find our show. Speaking of Instagram, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and follow us? Because guys, I promise we're super fun. (laughs) We share content there throughout the week about the show, and it's a great way to connect with fellow listeners and keep up with the guests that you might have heard. We also do fun quarterly giveaways and just share inspiring content. If you're looking for more connection, you can also join our Facebook group, which is linked in the show notes of every episode. There are weekly episode discussions, and it's a great way to find friends and listeners who might be in your area. And finally, if you'd like to support us, you can please write a review on iTunes because this will help boost our show so other like-minded women can find it. Your support means so much to me, you guys. Thank you again for being here. So grateful for you. We'll see you next week for another episode. 